So how many people love it when you're driving behind a slow driver and you come to the passing lanes and they speed up? <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> Don't you hate it? Oh man, that must be one of my pet my pet hates. It's just, oh, it's just so frustrating. And um, yeah, I don't point the I don't point the finger, or whatever you use. <laughs> I try to stay sanctified, and uh, I, I, yeah, but it's a struggle. It's a struggle. And the reality is, there are situations in life that are a struggle. Uh, lots and lots and lots of time. So this morning, I want to talk about something which every one of us has got to face, uh, something that most of us have a weakness in. And uh, as I was preparing for this, I was just thinking, you know, there's only a few things in the Bible that it says are impossible. If you, work, if you look up the word impossible in your concordance, you're going to find there's only a very, very few things that it says are impossible. Uh, it says that it is impossible for God to lie. He always tells the truth. It's impossible for him to actually lie. Uh, it also says that in the miraculous, nothing is impossible to God. Isn't that right? doesn't matter. No situation, no circumstance it's absolutely impossible to God. And there's one more thing that the Bible says is impossible. It says that it is impossible for us not to receive an offense. Every one of us are going to be offended. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and very gently say, You're going to be offended. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how many degrees you've got. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter how old or how young you are. You're going to be offended. Jesus said in Luke 71, he said to his disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come. But woe to him whom they come. Some of us are more easily offended than others. And I won't ask for a show of hands. And I won't point out anybody, all right? Some of us are more prickly than others. And some of us unintentionally offend people more than others. All right? I, I, I have to be careful who I joke with because um, my sarcastic, weird sense of humor can get me into trouble. And I was looking for Anne McAteer because she's usually a target of my, of my jokes, but I can't see her this morning. So, um, uh, but I, I remember there was, a, um, there was an old, uh, a couple of old sisters who used to sit in about the third row where, where you guys are sitting. And oh, they were just, they were so fantastic, these, these ladies. Eh? Um, one day I went up to them and uh, I, I said to them, I said, oh, isn't it a bit too loud for you in the, in the front rows? And they said, oh, no, pastor, we just turn our hearing aids off. <laughs> and, and that's the heart of these, um, these old ladies. So anyway, one day I went, up to, I went up to Nola and I said, you know, Nola, I was whispering in her ear. I said, um, 
your wrinkles are deep enough to drive a four-wheel drive-through. Well, she stood up and she tried to swap me around the face. And then she just laughed and gave me a big hug. And I thought, half the church would have left if I'd said that to them. But she had this, just this great soft spirit. And I knew that I could joke. And we knew that we had a relationship there. And it was absolutely fantastic. But, you know, at times I'm between a rock and a hard place. If I talk to some people, they get offended. If I don't talk to some people, they get offended. And as the senior leader, I am the target of offense. Uh, disappointments and disasters can blow us away, but what hurts the most is when people close to us let us down. I think the psalmist got it right when he said in Psalm 55, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were raising himself against me, I could hide from him. But it's you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked with the throng at the house of God. He's basically saying, hey, as the friend he used to go to church with, let him down, and that hurts more than anything else. Offenses by those who are close to us really hurt. They they cut deep. I, I don't think it is a coincidence that the only primary school teacher's name that I can remember, Mr. Clegg, oh, he was the one who had a um, native um, wood ruler. Do you remember those old people? Man, they were thick. And he would use it on the edge across your palm like that. Oh, boy, that hurt. But anyway... <laughs> This guy, this, this teacher, the only one whose name I can remember from my primary school days, pulled me up one day by the ear and told me that his three-year-old daughter could spell and write better than I could. And uh, yeah, you may laugh, but to a little kid, that hurt. That really hurt. And uh, I think it's no coincidence that uh, he's the only guy that I can remember his name. Because it was, just, it was just so, so devastating for a, for a young kid. And my spelling and my writing was useless, actually. It was terrible. It was really, really terrible. I bet it was good in the chief supporters' family last night. <laughs> the higher the expectation we have of people, the greater the perceived offences when they let us down. And so this is really true, people, in marriages, in close relationships, and it's especially true in church. I remember when Penny and I first got married, 43 years ago, and um, we had a fantastic honeymoon, as most honeymoons are, fantastic, and we came home. And when we came home, it was leading up to, I think it was just a couple of days away from my birthday. And uh, as a family, because uh, I'm a, one of three kids, we always used to celebrate birthdays big time. And so I was looking around for signs of the special party that was going to happen. Uh, I was looking around for hidden presents and all those sorts of things. Well, my birthday comes and nothing happened. Absolutely nothing happened. I'd only been married 12 days. 
and this wife of mine, whom I was about to divorce, didn't even remember my birthday. Well, she did remember it. She did remember it, but there was no party, there was no nothing. Well, being really schooled in handling offences, I didn't talk to her for a couple of weeks. Not quite, but I was really, really, really cold. I was really cold towards her until we finally got together and talked. And, and I found out, that, you know, she was from a family of eight. So they never celebrated birthdays. On, on their birthdays, their con- traditions, they, they had their favorite meal, which is what she gave me, and, um, and nothing more. We had to talk about it. And we had to work it through. And it was interesting. It was events like that, which happened frequently at the start of our marriage, that encouraged us to deal with offenses when they first occur, while they're still little. In fact, every Monday night, Penny and I would sit down for one hour. And I had a really busy job in those days. And uh, we would sit down for one hour and we would talk about, how am I going? How is Penny going? What's happening in my job situation? What's happening in the church situation? How are our finances? How's our sex life going? We went through all these things. We had a set agenda and we talked with each other for an hour. And that was the saving of our marriage. And it was absolutely fantastic because the the little things that always come up were dealt with every Monday. When I came home from work and I was absolutely tired and worn out and all I wanted to do was blob out in front of the, t- the paper, uh, Penny wouldn't have to uh, jump on me and um, grab me about all the b- other bits and pieces that were going on. We had a mechanism for dealing with these. And I want to encourage every young married person here and every middle married person here to take the time to work at communicating, to work at Dealing with the situations and the circumstances that come up in your lives. Uh, You've got to realize that our fight isn't against flesh and blood. It's not against each other. Ephesians 6.12 says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. The problems, the situations, the circumstances that we face most often have a spiritual undertow to them. Our struggle is against the enemy. Can anyone tell me what Jesus said about the enemy in John 10.10? Anyone know that verse? Shout it out if you know it. Pretty good. Thief comes to kill, steal, destroy. But he said, but I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. The enemy's goal is your destruction. Okay, he wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy God's family. His strategy is division. He has a divide and conquer. Because he knows where there is unity, God commands the blessing. So that anything he can do to undercut unity, he wins. And his weapon 
is offense. Why don't you say that with me? The enemy's goal is... Do you want to put that up on the... Thank you. The enemy's goal is destruction. His strategy is division. His weapon is offense. Offenses will happen. How you respond to those offenses will determine your future. And a great example of someone who handled handled offenses really, really well is found in Genesis chapter 37. And we haven't got time to read all the scriptures regarding this today, but please go and read them for yourself. It's about the life of Joseph. See, Joseph was one of, um, at that stage, 11. 11 boys. And there was another boy born after. Uh, And Joseph was his dad's favorite because Joseph was born to Rachel, the one that his father really, really loved. Okay. And that caused problems. Favorites and families always cause problems. And it's so hard, people, um, when you've got a multitude of kids to love each one equally. All right? We love them differently because they each have different needs, but we need to love them equally. So Joseph's family was incredibly dysfunctional. And when he was 17 years old, his brothers decided to kill him. How would you like loving brothers like that? You know, they literally wanted to kill him. And so when the opportunity came one day, when he was on his own, they were out in the fields, they grabbed him and they threw him in a pit. And while they talked amongst themselves how they were going to do the deed. And fortunately, just at that time, there was a caravan coming past, not a two-wheeled job, one with um, camels and donkeys and all that sort of stuff. So it was coming, and, they were, and the caravan was heading to Egypt. So they thought, right, rather than kill our brother, uh, we'll just sell him as a slave to Egypt. And that's what they did. Can you imagine how Joseph would have felt? I mean, he's 17. He's 17. He's, he's just a kid. Can you imagine? He would have feared for his life. He was torn from his family. He was sold as a slave into a foreign land. But the perpetrators, the very ones that were supposed to love him and look after him, were the ones that wanted his life. Boy, I bet you that hurt. They were the ones that were supposed to look after him. Joseph would have experienced fear, distress, disappointment, rejection. He would have felt the hate of his brothers, the deep-seated hurt, bewilderment, confusion. He'd had some prophetic dreams. And in the dreams, it was suggested that he was actually going to rule over his brothers. And I can imagine when he's sitting in the pit there, he's thinking, hey, what happened to those promises, God? What happened to those dreams that you gave me? This isn't really working out the way I expected it to work out. Why was this happening? Joseph was in a pit because of the actions of his brothers. He couldn't avoid that situation. But Joseph's response to that situation would determine whether he would graduate from the pit to the palace. When he's in Egypt, the Bible tells us that God was with Joseph in every situation. He was sold as a slave to a high-ranking official called Potiphar. 
And God blessed him and blessed all of Potiphar's house. But then Potiphar's wife had an eye for him, tried to seduce him. And when that didn't work out, she accused Joseph of raping him. Wasn't true, of course, because Joseph fled. But he was thrown into prison. He was thrown into prison for doing the right thing. But in every situation, Joseph stayed sweet in spirit. He didn't hold the offenses that were done against him. And that is one of the reasons why God could use Joseph to save two nations. We all get offended. Most offenses that we face are unintentional. People don't mean to hurt us, but whether they meant to hurt us or not, it doesn't matter. That's not the issue. How we respond is going to determine our future. Every one of us need love, acceptance, forgiveness, security, identity, purpose. And offenses, hurts, rejection, undercut every one of those basic needs. I mean, few of us are going to face, I'd say no one's going to face the extreme situation that Joseph faced. But as we look at Joseph's life, we can be encouraged that no matter what people might do to us, it's possible with God's help for us to transition from that place of rejection to a place of forgiveness and walking under the grace of God. See, nothing's impossible with God. He's able to do in and through our lives more than we ever asked for or even could imagine. And we definitely need God's help in dealing with offenses. And when you're hurt, you can't run from them. You can't ignore them. You can't hide them. You can't pretend that nothing's happened. Time does not heal offences. When I was 13 years of age, I was playing soccer for the Auckland under-14 rep team. And within a two-week period, I strained both muscles in my groin. It started off, uh, yeah, the doctor is shaking his head. I was growing. And so I started off straining one um, one muscle, I was a goalkeeper, and so I thought, that's okay, I can't kick uh, with my right foot, I'll kick with my left. <laughs> I strained the other one, <laughs> and so all I was left with was being able to throw. Uh, there was nothing they could do about it, a bit of ultrasonic treatment, but basically time was the only thing that was going to heal that situation. But when Penny was 17, and she was growing, she had an abscessed appendix. It's fortunate that it didn't rupture, and in, in that situation, time was not going to heal. And in fact, delays would just basically increase the level of toxins that are building up in a body. So unless surgery happened straight away, the patient could die. And she had months and months off school uh, because of that situation. A ruptured relationship is one of those things that time will not heal. Relationships are really complex. Everyone is so different that when they break down, there isn't an easy formula for healing. The key 
is to deal with each little offense before they become big offenses. Uh, Stephen and Prue are building a fence around their house. How do you build a fence? One piece of wood at a time. One piece of wood at a time. How do you climb out of the pit of a fence? One rung at a time. I put as a background uh, to our slides this morning that pit-type situation with a ladder going up. Just to remind us that we get out of those dark situations into the light one step at a time. One step at a time. So, what breaks the power of offences and rejection? What breaks it? One, God's love. God's love. The foundation of our faith. Our experience with God is that He loves us. And when we know that we are loved by Him, when we know that we know that we know that God loves us, then we experience security, we experience identity, we experience purpose, we are freed to be who we are created to be. God loved Joseph and was with him in the pit. He was with him as a slave. He was with him as a prisoner. And God will love you in every situation, in every circumstance of life that you might find yourself in. Even those situations that you have totally caused by your own stupidity and by your own reckless choices, God never, ever stops loving us. In fact, the ultimate symbol of God's love for us is the cross. Is the cross. It says in Romans 5 verse 8 that God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait till we got ourselves good and perfect. That's never going to happen, really. While we we're sinners, Jesus Christ died for us because he loves us, because we're his kids. The cross is the place of divine exchange. Jesus carried our sin so that we could have and be released and forgiven. Jesus carried our sickness so that we could be made whole. Jesus carried our hurts and our rejection so that we wouldn't have to limp through life uh, as an emotional cripple. If anyone was rejected, it was Jesus. He's the one who did nothing wrong. But he went to the cross for you and I so that our rejection could be broken and so that the power of his love would have an impact on our lives. The first step in breaking the power of offense and rejection in your life is to know and receive God's love and the work that Jesus Christ has already done for you and I on the cross. The second thing, the second thing is to recognize that our response to offenses is going to determine your future. Offenses will come. It is impossible for you not to be offended. The question is, how are you going to respond when those offenses 
happen to you. A number of years ago, we uh, saw a wonderful lady, um, Pam Stenzel, who um, actually lectured here. She's an American. She speaks to millions of kids every year on uh, sex. That's her topic. Uh, she's a successful woman who has a degree in clinical psychology. She founded an organization called Straight Talk. And uh, she told us that she was conceived as a result of a rape. She said she'll never know who her father is. Her mother adopted her out at birth. And so when you consider her situation, her circumstances, you would think if anyone had a reason to feel rejected and hurt and dumped on, Pam would have. But she knew the love of God and knows that her future depends on her own responses in life. And she said this. She said, if she ever met her mother, she would thank her for giving her two of the most wonderful gifts possible. She said, my mother gave me life, not death. And my mother gave me to a loving family. And she's just so thankful for that. Wow. What a response. Your response to offenses will determine your future. In the Lord's Prayer, uh, Jesus said, pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from, it's actually literally the, the evil one. Deliver us from the evil one. Remember, the enemy's goal is destruction. His strategy is division. His weapon is offense. So pray. Pray. Lord, let me see and recognize the traps that the enemy will set in front of me so I can avoid them. It's a great way of praying if you're praying through the Lord's Prayer. And many, many, many times, people, I pray, Lord, today, let me be so filled with your Holy Spirit and your love so that when offenses come, I won't even notice them. If you have your focus on God, if you are filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, you will find that the offenses will be minimized. You'll still have offenses come. But when you are empty, when you aren't filled with the Holy Spirit, when there's a big gap and a big hole in your life, you will take on offenses. And they will cause you to burn on the inside. Because offenses lead to bitterness, unforgiveness, if you don't deal with them. Uh, bitterness <coughs> allows the past to control your present. Bitterness allows people who hurt you in the past to continue to hurt you today. Hebrews twelve fifteen says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God. And just on that one... God gives us a measure of grace. It's sort of his covering. It's his, his overflowing love towards us. Uh, in every situation, we have a measure of grace. It's undeserved favor. 
It's the ability to get through difficult situations and circumstances. We have that grace. But in this verse, it says, See to it, no one misses the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. In other words, when bitterness happens in your heart, in your soul, it means you've missed the grace of God. And just on that one, have you ever seen that ad for secondhand smoke? Mum's in the car, she's smoking away, baby's in the back. And I think the caption on the ad is that secondhand smoke kills. Okay? Secondhand offences kill as well. You can't take on somebody else's offence. Because you will not have the grace for that. You can empathise with them. You can have compassion for them. But if you try to take on that offence... It'll eat you from the inside out. You will not have the grace for it. Because God gives each person grace for their situation, their circumstances. That's why you see in my situation, in ministers' situation, a lot of uh, ministers' kids end up getting really hurt because they take on the offenses that are done against their parents. And they take them on personally, and nobody's taught them how to handle those offenses, and so it eats them away on the inside. Secondhand offenses kill. Above all, guard your heart, Proverbs 4.23. Joseph knew God's love, stayed sweet before God. He never sought to punish his brothers, even when he had the power to do so, because he loved God, he'd forgiven his brothers, And Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And so we have to also. So the third thing that I see, if we are going to break through this whole area of of hurt and rejection and unforgiveness and offense, is that we have to forgive those people who have hurt us and rejected us. And this is really hard. In teaching his disciples to pray, the one thing that Jesus re-emphasized was forgiveness. If you go through the Lord's Prayer, he covers so many different subjects there in the Lord's Prayer. But the only thing that he goes on to expand on is forgiveness. And that's because it's in our human nature not to forgive. It's in our human nature to seek revenge. It's in our human nature, if someone does something to us, we want to get back at them. And we want to deal it out to them more than they've given it to us. Am am I the only one that's felt like that? (laughs) Yeah, Dave, (laughs) no way. (laughs) You're just as bad as me, I know. (laughs) Maybe not quite. But um, the reality is, we're, we're all like that. When we're hurt, we want them to feel hurt too. But that's not what Jesus says. Matthew 6, 14, he says, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. I think it's in, in Matthew 18. He tells the story of the unforgiving servant. He basically, let me summarize the story. The servant's been forgiven of millions and millions and millions of dollars of debt. But that same servant won't forgive a fellow servant an infinitesimally small debt. 
And basically, God is saying to us, hey, you guys have been forgiven billions. So how come you won't forgive a tiny little thing? That's how God is viewing that. In fact, he goes on in that. It's really interesting. He says that a lack of forgiveness is going to result in you being a candidate for demonic torment. Read it, Matthew 18. The most common open invitation for demonic attacks is unforgiveness. Forgiveness is an act of the will. Forgiveness is relinquishing your desire to see another person punished. Bitterness grows out of desire for revenge. Forgiveness now doesn't deal with justice. It doesn't deal with the right of wrong. When you forgive someone, you're not saying, I acknowledge that you were right. No, it doesn't deal. Forgiveness does not deal <clears throat> with right or wrong with situation. It doesn't deal with guilt or innocence. It doesn't mean that you have to reestablish a formerly destructive relationship. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. Forgiveness does not mean acting as if nothing happened. Forgiveness doesn't speak of trust. Forgiveness doesn't depend on the response of the other person. You're not saying, hey, I'll forgive them if they do this and this and this. No, no. Forgiveness says, I won't punish you or seek your punishment. And I've found for myself that when I realize how much God loves me, how much he has forgiven me, and how much he has empowered me, it enables me to work towards forgiving other people because I can't do it in my own strength. One of the best ways of changing how you feel about situations is to start praying for the person who has offended you. And don't pray, Lord, bless them with a brick. <laughs> pray, God bless them. God bless them. When you start praying for that person, something will change within you. Because you're never going to be fret, set free in the areas of hurts and offenses or rejection until you start to forgive. You might be separated by thousands of miles. You might be separated by death. But still be bound to the person who's offended you by bitterness and resentment. Time and dif distance don't change things of this nature, only forgiveness does. Reconciliation may not be possible, but release is always available. And forgiveness is possible with God's help. The cross gives the power to forgive and to set you free. Little offenses, by the way, are easier to forgive and to deal with when they are little. Keep them little. Work at them each day, each week, each month. Let's have the musicians come. The fourth thing. The fourth point is to pray and break the power of the offense. And we're going to pray a chain-breaking prayer. We're going to pray for offenses to be broken, but you've got to take ownership of that as well, okay? You've got to. You've got to take ownership of it. Psalm 34 verse 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. 
This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And he delivers them. How does he deliver us? He delivers us into peace. He delivers us into freedom. In 1247, there was a hospital founded in England called St. Mary's of Bethlehem. Uh, Bethlehem is synonymous with new birth, the miraculous, new life, peace to the world. But Satan's goal is destruction, his strategy is division, his weapons are offenses. Two centuries later, St. Mary's of Bethlehem was converted into a hospital for the insane. Those admitted were chained and abused as they were in those days. It was horrific. And the institution, which was known throughout the country for its noise and confusion and for the abuse changed its name. It was shortened from Bethlehem to Bedlam. And of course, Bedlam is the name that is synonymous with uproar and confusion. A few weeks ago, I talked to you about the demonic demoniac of Gadarean who was bound by chains living in graves but when Jesus set him free it says that the man was clothed and in his right mind and Jesus wants to turn the bedlam in our life the stuff that's been happening in our life because of offences because of hurts because of unforgiveness. He wants to take that bedlam, that bondage, and he wants to turn it back into Bethlehem. Acceptance, new life, peace. But you've got to allow the Prince of Peace to come into your situation and heal you. Why don't you just stand with me this morning? First, Scripture that Jesus ever preached in the temple was Isaiah 61. It says, The Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. Let's have the ministry team come forward, please. I've talked about offenses, things that happen to us. But the reality is that the greatest offense that you will experience is not those offenses, not those hurts that have been done to you. It's not even the things that you have done to others. The greatest offenses 
that we have been involved in is actually those that we have committed against God. It's our rejection of Him. It's our half-hearted commitment to it. It's our living our life our way instead of His way. He died for us, but we won't live for Him. But He still loves us. And I know this morning there are people here this, who have been struggling with this whole area of offense. And Jesus wants to set you free. He wants to break the hold that the enemy's had on you in these situations and circumstances. But also, there are others here this morning. And when you think of how you've treated God, when you think of how you haven't lived for Him, you know you need His forgiveness. And I want to just give opportunity for people just to come to the front this morning. Whether you're coming because of offenses that have been done to you or whether you're coming because of what you've done to others or from what you've done to God. Why don't you come and get it right? We're not going to probe into the details, but we will stand with you and we will pray that the power of those offenses will be broken, that you'll be set free and that God's love and His grace would come to the fore in your situation and your circumstances.